Welcome to Dreamland, a program dedicated to an examination of areas in the human experience not easily nor neatly put in a box. Things seen at the edge of vision, awakening a part of the mind as yet not mapped, and yet things every bit as real as the air we breathe but don't see. This is Dreamland. Another Sunday night Dreamland underway. Good evening, everybody. I'm Art Bell. As usual, Linda Moulton Howe, investigator, Emmy Award-winning documentary producer, and general scientific reporter for this program. Coming up in just a moment. Then, of course, Bud Hopkins, uh, toward the bottom of the hour. Author of Intruders, Witness, Missing Time, Millions of Books Sold. You should know Bud Hopkins. If not, you will shortly. You might want to set your VCR beginning uh, in about uh, 52 minutes. There's going to be a program on TBS, WTBS, called Topics. And I think you'll find uh, this radio program is covered in that program. It's a one-hour program on uh, TBS beginning in a little less than an hour. Once you've experienced the spectacular benefits of GMX magnetic water conditioning, you may want to go into business for yourself, and Larry and Ruthie can help you. That's 1-800-406-0469. Tell them Art Bell told you to call. That's one 800-406-0469. All right, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, with a very, very serious uh, report this evening uh, regarding the ongoing hysteria problem and more, here is Linda Moulton-Howe. Linda, welcome to the program. Hi, Art. Hi. Well, the fish killed by the hysteria dinoflagellate organism that I've been reporting about this summer in North Carolina have now apparently extended to the Pocomoke River in Maryland, which, if you'll recall, last week and the week before when I was interviewing Dr. Joanne Burkholder and others, they were afraid that this was going to happen. Uh, millions of fish have been dying in North Carolina rivers over the last three weeks, and now, last Wednesday and Thursday in Maryland, thousands of dead fish with bleeding round lesions were found along a five-mile stretch of the lower Pocomoke River near Shelltown, Maryland. Officials closed the Maryland waterway to swimmers and fishermen and have gathered fish and water samples to send to Dr. Joanne Burkholder in North Carolina and another research lab in Florida. Ten people who recently swam or fished in the Pocomoke have reported flu-like symptoms and open lesions on their bodies. The Fisteria organism has also been identified in Virginia rivers and officials in that state have been asked to close the extreme eastern side of the river near the Pocomoke Sound in Virginia. And I'm going to keep uh, updating that story, but my feature story tonight is the mystery of a tall primate-looking creature reported by several people near Ochopee, Florida in the Big Cypress National Preserve in the Everglades at the end half of July. Um, this is in an area near Ochopee, Florida, in what is called the Big Cypress National Preserve. Uh, it's a big swampy area, as people who have been there know. And one witness who actually took a photograph of the Bigfoot creature was Vince Dorr. He is a respected fire chief in Ochopee. He's worked there for 20 years. Mr. Dorr's photograph can be seen on the Naples Daily News Internet website at www naplesnews.com it is a, a blow up from his uh, 
long photograph did a zoom on this uh, creature. Now, Mr. Doerr, like many other eyewitnesses, prefers to caution that the sighting could be someone dressed up in a gorilla costume. However, when you listen to what the eyewitnesses say, it's hard to imagine anyone being able to survive such a costume in 100-degree heat and three feet of swamp water all day with mosquitoes for several days in July. One of the tour guide eyewitnesses was Steve Goodbread, who works for Pelican Tours in the Everglades. Around the same day in July that Vince Doerr took his photograph, Steve had 12 tourists in his van on Turner River Road at about 2.15 in the afternoon when the tourists spotted a tall primate creature. This is Steve Goodbread. People that were on the tour just happened to say, well, what's that? And I'm looking somewhere else. Like, well, what does it look like? Because I can't. And there's 12, or 12 sets of eyes looking all different directions. Right. I said, what? This is something big and black. That's what? Probably a bear. We do have black bear down here. And I'm going to tell them about black bear. They get to be about 250 pounds and whatever. And a few seconds went by, and they're like, we got real hysterical. No, no, no. It's not, you know, what is that? What is that? It doesn't look like a bear. So I kind of try to get a better look. But I was looking across the canal and through the through the wood bushes of this thing, where some of the other tour guides actually got to see it on their side of the road. Mm-hmm. They, I thought it was not in clear view with me, and I couldn't really tell what it was. I couldn't tell if it was looking at me or looking away or whatever. I wasn't that close, but I just know it was big, black, uh, seemed to be hairy, and you know, seemed to be standing on, on its two legs. But I couldn't tell what size it was because looking through the trees. It appeared to be something around six foot tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can probably say it definitely was not a bear. Because it, didn't, it didn't have movement like a bear. And How we, did it move? Um, more or less side to side. It wasn't, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't see it really take steps and walk, but it was moving back and forth mm-hmm. uh, through the bushes. There was a little bit of a clearing where you could kind of make out something a little bit, but most of the time it was behind enough bushes where I couldn't see the whole thing. Uh, and how long was it in view? Well, we probably sat there, well, probably, it seemed like forever, but probably five minutes. Okay. And in those five minutes, uh, did anybody in the group try to go closer? No, I couldn't get anybody to get out of the van. I didn't have a camera with me, and the people that were there had a camera, and uh, I tried to get them to either just open the doors, step out, get a photograph, they wouldn't do it, and then... Uh, when I went to my door, they all screwed at me, don't open the door, don't open the door. You know, they were all terrified, I guess. Hmm. And, uh, but nobody, you know, nobody, well, we would have had to cross the canal. Mm-hmm. There was no, where we were, there was no bridge. Mm-hmm. There was nothing, no way to cross. So there wouldn't have been any way to get any closer. And nor the, you know, when you see something, you don't know what it is, the best thing to do is not to go closer. Well, you've been in this country for 42 years of your life, intuitively at your gut level feel that you were looking at something that was some sort of a separate kind of creature? I, when I was initially sitting there, I was in awe of what was over there. I, you know, I didn't think about it being something phony. It didn't appear to be phony. Mm-hmm. It appeared to be something over there. Unique. Right. Something I couldn't explain. Right. And uh, I was, you know, I was just as much in awe as everybody else. I was kind of speaking over there trying to figure out what it was. And, and, uh, you know, I guess if I would have thought about it being somebody over there trying to play a prank, I might have tried to get over there and stop it, you know, because I'm not, I don't want my tour operations to get into any, any type of deal like that. 
Nor do I want anybody else down there playing jokes on us that are going down there. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, my my intuition was that it was real. Okay. Whatever it was. Another tour guide, Dal Roland of Everglade Day Safari, had four adults and two boys in his van when they saw a primate creature three times. Dal Roland. Eight-year-old shouts, Bigfoot, Bigfoot. Uh, I guess it's seen on TV or something. Anyhow, we turned and looked in the direction he was looking, and about 100 yards up the road at the edge of the brush, out there outside next to the road was... Bigfoot. And that's what it looked like. What were you seeing in terms of height and color and so forth? Well, it was very, at that distance, it was very dark, uh, hairy creature, uh, around six feet tall. Could it have been seven or eight feet tall? Okay. So from your perspective, it was about six feet tall. And was it standing, moving? It was standing, looking in our direction, and it looked... Uh, in the opposite direction and it looked at us again and then ran into the swamp. And when it ran, how did it run? Kind of loped or long gait. And when it turned to you a couple of times, could you see anything about its eyes or facial features? No. But we drove further up the road to get closer to it because by this time I wanted to be sure what I was looking at and the people did and the so forth. So we drove on up about half the distance again and it came out again at about 150 feet. <laughs> and this time I could see the face and the front of the body and the back and it turned around. The hair was uh, long, dark brown hair, very full hair on the head, the neck, the arms, even hanging down from the arms. And uh, the chest was covered with hair. The face seemed to be clear. And it looked like a gorilla. And about how long do you think that the seven of you got to see it? Well, a total front. Probably three or four seconds. Well, that's a good long time. And then what did it do then? It turned around and went back into the swamp. And did you uh, get out and look to see if there were tracks there? I drove up to where it went into took out my camera by this time I was I had forgot about the camera looking at the creature of course when you're surprised like that you don't do what you would expect you might do anyhow I got out of the vehicle and uh, went into the swamp where it had gone with my camera I have a 300 millimeter lens on a pen uh, on a Nikon mm -hmm. and uh, I couldn't see it and I didn't see any tracks it was real brushy and uh I stood around in the swamp for a little bit, hoping to get a shot of it with the camera. And the mosquitoes were so bad, I just couldn't bear it. So I got out of there. Mm -hmm. And got back in the van and waited a while. Nothing happened. It didn't come back out. And I drove off. And I got up the road about a quarter of a mile, looked in the rearview mirror, and there it was again. And alongside the road. Then the end of July... David Sheely, owner of the Florida Panther Gift Shop in Big Cypress Trail Lakes Campground, found two large 13-and-a-half-inch-long primate-looking tracks and made plaster of Paris casts of them, and he found a chunk of reddish-brown hair on a tree. He talked about these discoveries on a Fort Myers, Florida radio station around July 29th. This is what David Sheely in Ochopee, Florida, said happened next. 
I came home from a, from a radio station, this one in Fort Myers, and it's about 9.30 at night. I'm sitting in my house. I get a knock on my door, and there's two guys standing there dressed in black, and it's dark, and they got on sunglasses, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what's going on? Uh, normally out here, it's either a friend or somebody who's in trouble, but I knew this was different. They came in, asked my name, they came into my house, they pulled out some kind of ID, uh, and um, they said they were there to get the tracks and the hair. Well, I had left the tracks in my truck, and it was raining, and I didn't tell them that, but they said, well, what about the hair? Well, I look over at the table, because the hair is sitting there in the open, and then they look over at it, and I said, well, it's right here. I mean, it was too late by then. Mm-hmm. And then the one pulls open his jacket, grabs the hair out of my hand, pulls open his jacket. When he opens his jacket, I notice he's got on a big, like a belt with all kinds of bullets and clips and um, stuff. I don't know. I'm not saying he had bullets. I'm saying it looked like it. They were like cart, like canisters on his belt. Definitely armed in some way. He was equipped. I don't know if you call it armed or not. He was equipped. Mm-hmm. And as he opened up his jacket and took the hair, what did he do with the hair? About halfway from his waist to his underarm, inside of his jacket, he had a long slit. And it was like a pocket. And it kind of just fell open when he opened his jacket and he stuck it right in that pocket. Okay. And then what happened? What, what was said? They said, we're going to have this analyzed, and then we're going to come back and talk to you. And then they just turned around and walked out of my house. Did you go to the door to see what kind of vehicle they might have gotten in? I saw exactly what kind of car they were driving. After after I heard them go out, I heard the car door close. I stuck my head out the door and looked. And um, it was a black Lexus or a Mercedes, kind of a sporty-looking car. And what was unusual about it was it had like a long... Uh, like a CB whip, the kind of big antenna with a spring on it mm-hmm. attached to the bumper, and it was pulled over the, the cab of the car and looked appeared to be like tied on the front bumper or something. Okay. Did the men who showed you the ID, when you looked at the ID, did you recognize any of the words on it in terms of an agency? It all looked official to me. One of The, the one had like a badge in his wallet, and the other one had a card. And up in the left-hand top corner, there was a red square. How big was the square? I'm sorry, it wasn't the left-hand corner, it was the right-hand corner. Okay, how big was the square and what color would it be compared to something I might know? Bright red. Like a tomato? Yeah. And how big would that red square be? I would imagine it was anywhere, it was about a half an inch square. One half inch square. Now, what else was on that card? Um, it was a, a picture. It was a picture of a guy, but the guy in the picture didn't have on glasses. And um, it had some writing underneath of it, some writing underneath of it. And there may have been some kind of seal, like kind of in it somehow, some kind of like a seal with a picture kind of on the seal. Did either one of them say to you, as they showed you identification, we are from? No. They said that they had questions they wanted to ask me. Well, that's not the end of it, because about three days after that happened, they got all these helicopters flying around here at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, over where the sightings were. And, And they hovered in one spot behind my campground 
for 45 minutes with her lights on the ground. Would you please go back to the night of Friday, August 1st, start with exactly what started, how it happened, tell me everything that you saw and heard. 12 o'clock at night. Midnight. Midnight. I'm laying in bed, and I started hearing choppers at a distance. Well... That's not unusual, really, to hear a chopper, but it's unusual to hear one flying low. And I knew it was flying low because I could hear the, the blades ricocheting off of the swamp, like, like that. Um, so about 2 o'clock, I, I tried to go back to sleep, but it just kept getting louder and louder. Well, when I, when I went and looked at my yard, I could see that it was probably between six or eight helicopters a mile and a half north of my campground in the area where they had been having these sightings. Of this Bigfoot creature. So I watched for a little bit and I went back inside. All I could see were lights moving around, like spotlights, searchlights. So I lay back down and they, they keep getting closer and the next thing I know they were north of me. Then they're down further in the swamp to the east of me. And at 3 o'clock, they were south of my place about a mile and a half. And at that point, at 3 o'clock, when I walked out on my back porch and looked out there, all of a sudden they all came together. And they put their lights down on the ground, and they hovered. And, and I figured they had spotted something. But they hovered there. It was incredible. They hovered stationary for 45 minutes. And Arthur, uh, I asked him what happened. He said that the helicopters then uh, cut off their searchlights, uh, flew away in the distance, and uh, I asked him if he was able to go to that area where they converged. He said it is impossible. It's all government property. The government has restricted the use of airboats even there. The only way people can get in is to walk, and there's three feet of water, and nobody can get there. All right, Linda, we'll get some information out in a minute. My God. Yep. Bigfoot, men in black, and helicopters. I know. All right, hang tight. We'll be right back from the high desert, an area near Dreamland. This is Dreamland. The talk station, AM 1500 KSTP. TALK. First time callers, area code 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Or the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295. 727-1295 in the 702 area code. Now again, here's our pet. Once again, here I am. That's got to be a classic. Absolute classic. A Bigfoot. A photograph. And by the way, uh, Keith is looking now through the Naples News website, and we're going to see if we can get a link to it uh, ASAP. 
Bigfoot, all kinds of witnesses, men in black, helicopters, a real classic, Linda. Yeah. Uh, this is really uh, an extraordinary story from that standpoint. And I'm curious if any of our listeners who may have uh, either uh, current employment in intelligence agencies or have had past employment, does anyone recognize any kind of an ID that would have a half-inch square that it was a solid tomato red in the upper right-hand corner? All right. I'd like to know if anybody would. And if they do... Could you please fax me information? It can. I don't need to use names. I just am curious if anybody has information. To Linda Howe at area code two one five four nine one nine eight four two. Again, my fax is two one five four nine one nine eight four two. And for people who would prefer to correspond with me, it is Linda Howe H O W E. At Post Office Box 300, Jameson, J-A-M-I-S-O-N, Pennsylvania, abbreviated P-A, and the zip code is 18929. And um, I also have had uh, letters inquiring from people who had heard me talk on Coast to Coast a few weeks ago uh, about uh, the remaining glimpses of other realities, Volume 1, that I have. Uh, that is still 300 images mostly in four color and that future editions may have to be in more in black and white for cost. Right. And I would just like to let our Dreamland listeners know I am willing uh, to autograph uh, these books that do have the 300 images mostly in color, Glimpses Volume 1. Uh, if you will also fax me at uh, 215-491-9842 or write me at the post office box 300 in Jameson, Pennsylvania, 18929, and I will send you information about how to order those books. And for the rest of my uh, documentaries and my other book, An Alien Harvest, uh, there's also a credit card number, 800-864-7991. And uh, Art, I feel that the mysteries are enchanting to us to try to understand but I am so concerned about what is happening in the world around us uh, with from hysteria to fish kills to uh, the fact that we may actually be pushing sharks and other fish in the seas into extinction and I will be doing a story about that in upcoming Dreamland. We'll look for it. Linda, thank you very much. Next week from Philadelphia. All right. Take care. That's Linda Moulton Howe uh, in Philadelphia. And coming up in a moment, Bud Hopkins. You know Bud Hopkins. If You certainly ought to know Bud Hopkins. Intruders. Missing time. Witness. Nova. <laughs> we'll get to Bud in a moment. Not long. Drive. Remember, leave your name and address at that number, 1-800-522-8863. Or go to my website and jump on the Sea Crane Company link. Leave your name and address there. A catalog uh, will then be forthcoming. Are you overweight? Would you like to lose an average 8 to 10 pounds in the next month? We know that fiber helps sweep fat out of the digestive tract like a broom, reducing the amount of fat your body stores as excess weight. Well, let me tell you about a revolutionary fiber. Kaito Zen. 
It's a natural fiber that comes from shellfish. It not only sweeps fat, but also absorbs up to 10 times more fat than other fibers. You can get this fiber in a formula called Kaido Slim. Kaido Slim is effective because you can lose weight without changing your eating habits. And there are no stimulants. It's a gentle, effective way to lose excess weight. Here's the special offer. When you order a 90-day supply of Kaito Slim, you'll get an antioxidant moisturizing cream absolutely free. Call 1-800-557-4627. It's guaranteed to work or your money back, and it's not available in stores. So call 1-800-557-4627. That's 1-800-557-4627. You've got nothing to lose but the fat. Well, all right, I said half in jest. Um, Nova, when I... When I mentioned the various things that Bud has done or has been things that have been done to Bud Hopkins, who's coming up in just a moment, I had a very similar occurrence, and it's going to launch this discussion, I suspect, about the media, about debunking and all the rest of it. There's a fellow named Cal Korff, K-O-R-F-F, who went on another syndicated radio program, had a lot to say about me that was utterly and totally false and slanderous, and we have brought closure to that matter, and we have done so in the following way. This occurred Thursday night, Friday morning, I think it was, on coast, and I want you to hear what occurred. Here it is. All right. For those of you not familiar with what is to follow, you may check my website, and you will find audio files of the words said by Mr. Calcorf on the sightings program, a syndicated radio program that can be heard. I pretty well covered it last night, and as you know, I was very, very angry. I believe that we have with us tonight Mr. Calcorf. Uh, Cal, are you there? Yes, sir. Okay, um, Cal... I was really, really angry at you last night. My anger is somewhat abated at this moment, but uh, um, I believe you've got something you want to say. Yes. Um, everything I said about Mr. Art Bell was completely untrue and false. I retract everything entirely and further apologize to not only Mr. Bell, but the CBC Radio Network and the affiliates mentioned, KFYI in Phoenix, Como and KVI in Seattle. So your your words about me and what I um, allegedly said uh, were totally false. Yes, there's no evidence at all. Uh, none of it held up, and uh, you deserve an apology, Mr. Bell. All right, thank you. I want to say something to you, and it is the following. Um, words, Mr. Gorf, really do have consequences in ufology. Um, something we're both interested in. We've got room for all sorts of people, believers, skeptics, even, even debunkers like yourself. However, if the goal of our debate is the truth, then the reckless disregard for it harms all of us. So please, I would only ask this. The next time you decide to debate the statements of something you call facts, make damn sure that you know them to be facts and not slanderous lies. This method... Uh, generally, effectively prevents embarrassing retractions of the sort you just had to make. I really do wish you luck in your future endeavors. All right, and that was it. 
And that effectively for now ends it. Uh, there was a very, very similar situation that developed uh, between Bud Hopkins uh, and a NOVA program. Bud, welcome to the program. That'll be with you, Art. Um, I, it seems like a good moment, uh, Bud. We're going to certainly talk a lot about uh, the abduction business tonight. But I remember just prior to the um, airing of a NOVA show, um, that ostensibly they came to you and they were going to do a show, a, a good one on abductions, and it turned out to be something entirely different, something you did not expect. you want to tell that story briefly? Well, the, um, uh, the general respect that people have for NOVA, of course, uh, led me to feel that I could get at least a fair hearing. And when I spoke originally to uh, Denise Diani, who was the producer, uh, I said, I don't expect you to endorse the idea that UFO abductions are literally taking place in the real world, because I know that's not their position. But I said, what I do expect, at the very minimum, is for the program to state that there is a mystery. After all of the theories have been um, expounded upon and applied and so on, that still cases are not explained and a mystery results. I said, that's the least. Uh, and of course, I don't think anyone could look at the phenomenon with any kind of an open mind and not agree with that statement. Right. And uh, so uh, that was my understanding. I also pointed out that I wanted to stay with cases that hypnosis was not involved in simply because um, that's, you know, that's the uh, method of, of choice of attack uh, by the debunkers on the abduction phenomenon. False memory syndrome, that kind of thing. Yeah, even though uh, hypnosis is not uh, uh, essential in, a num in many cases, and of course everybody remembers some of it, if not all of it, in, in various abduction experiences. So uh, it's always been a false issue. But anyway, I said, let's stay away from that. And <clears throat> I was led to believe that this was going to be a... Uh, uh, an objective look, which would admit finally that there are some uh, uh, unknowns about the, the phenomenon. Even the Air Force has been a doubt about its sightings years ago. Sure. Uh, but what happened was this was a deliberate attempt to discredit me, um, and uh, I was being, in effect, set up. Now, if you spend, as you know yourself, if you spend two or three days with uh, a television crew, um, and there is no way that they can't clip and snip and edit uh, and present by their innuendos that they tack on as comments afterwards uh, that they can't uh, create a completely misleading impression. And this yes. is what they did. Hours and days turn into minutes of what they want. Oh, yeah, just a few minutes. <clears throat> now, one of the things which was extremely interesting was uh, I said, let's... Why don't you follow me into a new case? And I don't know what to make of the case either. I just know what has been reported to me. And it was a, a family in Florida. <clears throat> and uh, we went down to Florida to look into the case. And I met the principals in this family, a man and his wife and two very young children, uh, at the same time that uh, the Nova people met them. At any rate, uh, this is the kind of situation that happened. The husband described with cameras running uh, how he was uh, had been paralyzed at night in the hallway, had fallen to the floor. He actually lay down on the floor. And this, is, this man is a very uh, respected uh, mid-level executive at a very big company with a lot at stake to allow himself to be filmed. 
He lay down on the floor in the hallway showing exactly where he was with the cameras running. <clears throat> he showed, he pointed out that there was one small alien standing just behind his head, two to his side. At the end of the hall, he could see uh, a couple of more small figures <clears throat> and a little alien right. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, floating his four-year-old son out the window. He explained how, as he was lying there, in anguish, trying to move, he was trying to to move to break loose to uh, protect his child, to bang his knee against the wall because his wife was on the other side of the wall in the bedroom, um, and couldn't move. And and how terrifying and upsetting this was to him. Now this was all straight memory. There was no hypnosis or anything. All of that footage was suppressed. All of it was suppressed. It was it was the most dramatic footage by any. Any possible measurement that occurred in Florida, it was suppressed, hidden, censored, eliminated. And they asked me to do a hypnotic session with his wife on uh, a, a completely unrelated case, something from a childhood. I did the hypnosis. They censored it in such a way to make it look as if I was leading the woman, which I absolutely there's no there's no possible way to watch the entire session and think that for a second she was being led. But, of course, this, uh, you know, the way uh, a sentence was broken into, uh, falsely suggesting that sort of thing, a leading issue. They only showed her under hypnosis and then described the whole case as something which had emerged only through hypnosis. <laughs> and, and by suppressing the evidence that the husband had, you know, the filmed uh, account, which is extremely moving, far more interesting than what happened to his wife. And, of course, uh, the sneering voice said, Hopkins uh, listened to her, to, to their, um, I don't know, their, their suggestions and under hypnosis uh, came to believe that uh, this thing had really happened when obviously it hadn't or something. I don't know how they phrased it. But anyway, I was made to look like a fool. Uh, believing something that, uh, of course, from the evidence uh, that they presented, it, I, I would have been a fool to believe uh, an abduction had happened based on the evidence that they allowed the audience to see. The rest was simply suppressed. And I find that uh, as uh, uh, absolutely revolting a way of presenting a phenomenon as one can imagine, a totally unscientific, uh, totally immoral. Uh, I, uh, I, you know, I, I had... I lost all respect for Nova. That was only one little piece. One other thing I should mention, Art, is that uh, they were very anxious to get photographs of the particular types of wounds that very often turn up after abduction experiences, the scoop marks, sure. the straight line cuts, and so forth. I sent them this material plus uh, many photographs of ground traces, the way the soil had been baked down to uh, maybe six or eight inches. Uh, to a kind of rock-like hardness under the area where the craft had landed and so on. I showed them all, the, sent them all this stuff. They were very thankful, suppressed all of that, and then announced on the program there was no physical evidence to support any of this. Remarkable. And uh, th those are simple, outright lies. And, well, uh, that's what I was getting to, Bud, and that's what I want to ask you about. Uh, the Cal Corfs, the Nova piece, it's on and on and on, and we must be getting close to something for people to actually set out to lie. Yep. Uh, that means we're coming close to something. And um, I just, I don't know why it's going on. Do you? Well, I have an idea, and that is this. The statistics uh, about what people feel about the UFO phenomenon uh, as uh, 
has surfaced in recent polls. That's true. Even one that I believe was a Time or Newsweek poll that said something like 78% of the American people, as I remember, I might have it off by a couple percentage points, something like 78% believe that the Air Force knows a great deal more about UFOs than it's telling, that it's covering up the truth. At least that percentage. That's gigantic. It's, you know, it's such a vast majority of the population. Uh, also, I think the, the number was 28% of the American people believe we have already made contact with extraterrestrial intelligences. Now, if somebody had asked me <laughs> before that poll, what do you think the number would be on something like that? I'd say, well, maybe I'll be really, uh, I'll, I'll go for a high figure, say 10%. Right. 28%? Almost a third of the American people believe that <laughs> we've made contact with extraterrestrials. I mean, this, this is staggering. And 78% believing there is life elsewhere. Yeah, oh yes. Well, but I think that the, the point, are, I think this is what it comes down to, is that the forces behind the cover-up and the debunkers and the, uh, peop the um, uh, conservative scientists who have a stake in the status quo, uh, who uh, need their... Uh, seniority, they need their tenure, they need their government contracts, etc., uh, and therefore have to maintain an older paradigm. I think those people are realizing that they are losing the war when it comes to public opinion. And therefore, uh, I think the rear guard actions that are being fought are getting infinitely more vicious. And I can predict, I will predict without any possible uh, hint of doubt about it, that we're going to see more and more vicious attacks. They're going to take a personal uh, side mm -hmm. against uh, researchers, against people who are taking uh, these issues seriously and looking into them with, with uh, integrity and, and seriousness. What do you these do now? Be terrible. What do you do now? When a television show uh, approaches you now after the Nova experience, how do you, how do you vet them? Well, it, uh, to tell you the truth, Art, I, I don't know that I have a... Uh, an absolute way of going about uh, protecting myself. I don't think in a way you can. Uh, there's a certain sense of the roll of the dice about it. And I did trust the Nova people uh, because they had that reputation. Uh, but, uh, uh, and, and of course, one of the things that I should just add on the Nova program, uh, one of the uh, abductees who I presented on the, on the program, who, who willingly came forward because it was Nova, uh, wrote to the uh, producer and said, she also, he also spoke to her personally, but he sent her a letter saying he wanted to be tested in any way, uh, medically, psychologically, uh, interviewed by psychiatrists, whatnot, polygraph tests, anything, any members of his family, uh, x-rays, uh, MRIs, anything they wanted to do, he was willing to do it. And they said no. It said on the program that I had somehow... Uh, not cooperated with them, and they said this in a letter afterwards, and had prevented anybody from being tested. Well, all I can say is it, it, it's beginning to seem like a war. Uh, it, it is a war in a certain sense. I, I really think it is. And uh, it, it's, it's taken a, a vicious kind of personal uh, turn. turn to it. Yes, exactly. And, and uh, as I say, I think it's getting even worse. Now, for instance, uh, uh, Philip Class. Uh, has said in interviews, uh, this is a man who's, who's supposed to be interested in investigating cases, which he does not do. He simply, uh, you know, pontificates about uh, a theoretical explanation without having looked into it. But at any rate, he said that abductees are simply little nobodies trying to get on television. 
<laughs> which I think is, of course, a wonderful piece of self-description on his, on his part. Uh, but the basic point here is that this is nothing more and nothing less than witness intimidation. If you present that idea, uh, and out of one side of your mouth you're saying, I think people should come forward if they claim that they've had these experiences. And on the other hand, if they do come forward, they're just little nobodies trying to get on television. What's going to be the end result? And that's going to be that people, especially people who have jobs or positions at stake, are not going to come forward. They're going to stop, sure. Absolutely. And so witness intimidation is the, is the basic method that the debunkers have used. And that's not just abductions, of course. That's all cases. That's whether uh, uh, it's, it's somebody from the military coming forward about uh, a military experience or cover-up uh, uh, cover up information or whatnot, or whether this is a uh, simple fighting report. Uh, if you're a police sergeant and you're you're hoping to make lieutenant, and you've had a low level fighting, you're not going to come forward with that at all. No, I didn't see one of those. All right, uh, Bud, hold tight. We'll get back to you after the top of the hour. You've got a good little break here. I want to take one second out and tell everybody that in a few moments there's a program on TBS called Topics. You might want to go set your VCR right now. It begins in about two minutes or so. And I suspect pieces and parts or portions of my program are going to be on that. So set a VCR. Stay with Dreamland. Topics on TBS beginning in about two minutes. That's a don't-miss-it kind of warning. I'm Art Bell from an area near Dreamland. This is Dreamland. Fifteen hundred KSTP. From the Kingdom of Nine, you're hearing Greenland with Art Bell. To participate in the program, call toll-free 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. First-time callers, area code 702-727-1222. Or the wildcard line at 702-727-1295. This is the CBC Radio Network. That's what it is. I'm Art Bell. My guest is Bud Hopkins, and he'll be back in a moment. Well, we've searched the Naples News website with no luck. If anybody out there has that uh, particular photograph of Bigfoot, I would really appreciate it if you would send it to me at artbell at AOL.com or 
my diligent webmaster, Keith Rowland, at Keith R, that's K-E-I-T-H-R, all lowercase, at primenet.com. We're trying to get hold of that photograph. Smart. Well, I guess you know when you're getting close because they begin coming after you. As they have come after me, as they have come after Bud Hopkins, and as I guess the whole thing is going to escalate. But, Bud, let's turn away from this stupid, stupid war that's going on, (laughs) and let's talk about what's really going on and what's really important. And you, last time you were on the program, I'm trying to remember when it was... um, it was during the Roswell... Uh, during the Roswell business, you told me the story of Witnessed. And yeah. how I missed that, I don't know. But it's got to be one of the best documented in all history. Would you be will- Yeah, would you be willing to tell that again? I, I certainly will. But, you know, just, just one final statement on what we were talking about. And that is, Art, I think that the effectiveness of people like you and me and Linda and a number of other people... Um, in presenting this material, presenting the idea that the evidence exists and had better darn well be looked at and taken seriously, that uh, the UFO, UFO phenomenon is a real phenomenon which is altering our basic understanding of the entire universe. Your effectiveness, uh, and I know about the, uh, the popularity of your program, how many people it reaches, uh, I've just found it... Uh, my uh, last book, Intruders, is coming out now in mainland China. Uh, it's in really 10 or 11 or 12 languages. Uh, it, it's uh, uh, now being reissued as a, a trade paperback, uh, as well as a mark, uh, uh, mass market book. But it's in very strange languages like uh, uh, Romanian and, and you would think small uh, countries, Norwegian, etc. But the books have reached out. Uh, of course, uh, Intruders was a miniseries on CBS, which has been shown several times, and that reaches millions and millions of people. Your program's enormous listening audience, um, the success of a number of other books, and uh, the effectiveness of the presentations, I think, is giving uh, the powers that be <laughs> something to worry about. Creeps here. I'm particularly surprised. Patting ourselves on the back a little bit here. Uh, the intruders is going into mainland China. Yes, mm-hmm. fascinating. It's in Japanese, and it's been in Taiwan. Uh, it's been in Chinese on Taiwan, but the mainland Chinese are taking it now. So uh, it, it, it's uh, uh, it's literally been a worldwide book. And of course, um, I just negotiated to have uh, Valentine um, continue issuing. Uh, missing Time, which is now 16 years old, so these books have had a tremendous readership, and I think that um, all of these things collectively have uh, added up to uh, a situation where the government or whatever the powers are or the uh, more conservative scientists are really having trouble um, putting this all away. And how many start, books? How many books have you actually sold now altogether? Do you know? That I do not know. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I'm, it's, I'm, a, I'm a very poor business person. I have yet they, I have yet to master reading a royalty um, uh, sheet, even if it's in English. <laughs> but uh, but but many many books. Yes, uh, probably but, millions. And and you know what's a what's a funny thing? Just to pass on. Uh, of course, you know about the famous. Um, conference on the abduction phenomenon at MIT. Oh, yes. And that was organized essentially by David Pritchard and John Mack. And uh, David Pritchard is a world-class uh, physicist, uh, an extremely important person who takes this very seriously. And I once asked him 
Uh, I said, David, how did you get involved in this very strange subject? And he blushed a little bit. He said, well, as a matter of fact, one of his students left a copy of Intruders on his desk when he uh, left class. And he picked it up and read it. <laughs> you know, John, there's another one. They went after John Mack. Oh, boy, did they go after John Mack. Uh, yeah, well, it, it, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a, a personal... Uh, vendetta now, uh, I think it, it, that's why I say it, it's getting more vicious. But anyway, we're going to win. But the, but the back to the uh, uh, the issue of uh, witnessed. Yes. Uh, this is the uh, the situation. In when it comes to the abduction phenomenon, even though there's all kinds of physical evidence, the UFO might land and it might uh, you know knock down a tree in the process or. Uh, uh, alter the soil by some electromagnetic means. We have no idea how it operates and so on. Uh, I have numerous cases where people have been uh, taken and returned to the wrong house or they're returned wearing somebody else's clothes. <laughs> Errors are made, etc. Uh, and, of course, the physical marks and so on. There's all many, many levels of physical evidence. But we have never really had a situation where people saw an individual being abducted, meaning floating up in, into a beam of light or whatnot. Right. That part of it is always somehow concealed, and we don't know how that concealment works. Uh, we know people are, uh, as it were, switched off. They're rendered in, in a sort of a comatose state, and then they're switched back on after the experience is over. Uh, so, uh, Which accounts for the missing time in a lot of yeah. cases. Mm -hmm. Well, this is something that witnesses uh, 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 who were... Uh, too close to the action, so to speak, mm. are somehow um, uh, put made to go to sleep, as it were, and uh, so they don't uh, actually see it happening. Uh, we know that happens, but there's some kind of shielding, and of course the dread word invisibility comes up, etc. But we know that with all of the abduction cases that have, uh, take place, even in big cities, and I've looked into cases in, uh, that occurred in Rome, in London, in New York City, Los Angeles, etc. Um, we know that there should be witnesses. There should be people see the UFO and see the person being taken. Uh, well, uh, all of a sudden, that uh, fact that we don't see it uh, was broken back in November 30th, 1989. And the story here is that a woman I was working with who had reported abduction experiences, and uh, she had written to me, and she's a, an Italian-American background uh, housewife with two children, very uh, stable and very nice person. Um, she reported to me uh, in the morning, and this is uh, literally about five or six hours after the event occurred, that uh, she had been abducted the night before she thought, because... Uh, just before she went to bed, uh, when she was in bed, before she'd gone to sleep, she felt a paralysis coming up her body. She felt uh, that that, that uh, coming terror, the sense that there's someone in the room. She opened her eyes, and there was a small, you know, uh, gray figure with a big head, big black eye standing at the foot of the bed. Now, again, this is in New York? This is in New York City, and this is New all York conscious City. recollection. Not a little farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Oh, it isn't. Uh, Joan Rivers always used to say it's always the guy in bib overalls in the back of a truck. But yeah, that's, that's right. The case. That's right. Uh, this is uh, this is right in New York City. Now she happens to live in a big apartment complex right down on the East River near the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> uh, she had then further recollections, which were vague after uh, feeling this absolute paralysis all the way through her body, 
Uh, she remembered sitting on a table. She remembered some small hands going up and down her back and wrapping on her back. They often do something as, as, as if they're kind of checking the vertebra or something, you know, the nervous system. We don't know what it is exactly, but this is often reported. Uh, she had some other recollections, but at any rate, that was that. And we did a hypnotic session, and she remembered that she had been floated out her window, the 12-story window of the apartment. She was terrified that she was going to fall. She was lifted up in a, a blue-white beam of light and taken up into the craft, and these various things happened there, and then she was returned. She remembered feeling as if she was being dropped on the bed from a foot or so above it. And this is really one of the touching aspects of it. This is really somewhat peripheral, but uh, she was immediately terrified for her children, two little boys, uh, because knowing that this had happened to her, what was going to happen to them. She rushed into uh, their bedroom, and she couldn't rouse either one of them. And she couldn't. She had no sign that they were actually breathing, and she was absolutely terrified that her family was dead. The same thing had happened, incidentally, to her husband, that uh, she couldn't rouse him either. She went in the bathroom, grabbed a pocket mirror. She held the mirror up to her little boy's uh, face, hoping that she would see signs of breath, moisture on the mirror, but she said she was crying so much she couldn't see it herself at first, and then finally uh, she did see some moisture, and suddenly both boys woke up simultaneously as this, as if the state of suspended animation was yes. over. Yes. Uh, they all woke up at once, but that was... Before you go on, and before we get to the witness part uh -huh. of it, um, how does this story, or does it generally differ from other good Stories of the same genre. In other words, is it typical? Is it a typical abduction? Oh, it's radically it, it, well. The, the, the abduction of being taken into the craft, yes, uh, and the way she was taken in and returned—that is all extremely typical. Okay, extremely typical. Uh, it's the later part that gets very, very different. Uh, what happened was uh, we did the hypnotic session. Uh, that was very early in December of '89, and then in '91, in February, I received a letter, uh, probably the most remarkable letter I've ever received, from two men representing themselves as police officers, saying, "Mr. Hopkins, we cannot live with ourselves any longer without telling somebody." And described the fact that back in late November 1989, they described where they were parked in their in their car. And they saw a UFO above uh, this large apartment building. The address was, of course, right next to her apartment building. <laughs> and they saw all of the lights go on in this craft. And one of the men later said it was uh, like the most brilliant light show he'd ever seen. Now, that's not the way you go about something in a covert, hidden way. You don't put on a light show. Of course not. Uh, and then they saw this blue-white beam of light shine out of the bottom of the craft. And a woman and three small alien figures rolled up in a somewhat of a uh, uh, fetal position, came rolling out the 12-story window in midair. Two policemen. Uh, they turned out not to be policemen, but government security intelligence agents. They told me they were policemen at first, but uh, they ultimately, I think, were trying to see whether they could trust me and what I would do with this and so forth. So over the ensuing uh, three next three years... They gave me more information, and uh, I have established a rather cordial relationship with one of the men, uh, even though we have never actually physically met. Uh, we have uh, maintained this relationship through uh, uh, audio tapes that he sent me and many letters. 
I take it uh, they have ongoing employment. Uh, they yes, they are uh, they are high level security intelligence agents. And to tell you how high level they are, uh, it's a complicated thing. But Linda identified the woman who had floated out the window. Identified one of the men because she was reviewing a number, oh, six hours or so of tapes uh, having to do with uh, events at the United Nations because we were looking to see if she could find either of these two men because ultimately we found out uh, they explained that they were intelligence security officers dealing with some important political figures who had left the meeting at the UN and they were guarding these people they were heading down towards Governor's Island which is a secure uh, helicopter base, uh, Coast Guard base in, in New York Harbor. Um, at any rate, we, as Linda was reviewing these tapes, hoping we could find a glimpse, we, she located uh, one of the agents, Dan, his first name, and uh, I subsequently have found photographs of Dan standing uh, on Governor's Island uh, the year before when Gorbachev uh, met there with uh, uh, Reagan and Vice President Bush, and there is, lined up in a row, Dan, President Reagan, uh, President-elect Bush, and Gorbachev, with a huge crowd of people around him. But Dan is right next to all of them. Uh, On the tape, we see him actually opening the door for Gorbachev's car, uh, obviously um, operating as an extremely high-level security agent, uh, security intelligence agent. But uh, the most important part of this, after the fact that they actually witnessed uh, the abduction, was that they explained there was a third extremely important political figure uh, of world influence in the car with them who saw the whole thing. The person they were transporting slash protecting. Exactly. And they were only one of several cars which contained a number of other important political figures. Have they given you that name yet? Uh, yes, they have given me the name, and this is, but this is the basic point. And he's communicated with me, and I've had a, uh, a meeting with him, oh. uh, which I describe in the book, even though he has said to me that if I ever identified him, um, I, he would deny it. And so it would be my word against his. He hopes someday to be able to tell the truth. But he, th- this is the interesting thing uh, about their attitude, and this is something I'm sure you've run into, too, in these cases. People want the story out, but they do not want to give their name. That's right. And this has to do with what we were talking about earlier with witness intimidation, which is the basic uh, debunking weapon. Yes, indeed. Uh, so uh, they want the story out, but... Uh, this is only where the whole thing begins. I, meanwhile, received another letter uh, from a woman who told me about her car stopping, the engine dying, and this is what happened to the uh, political figures as they were driving down South Street at 3 a.m., uh, heading to this uh, helicopter pad. Their car stopped. Their car's engine stopped. This is a uh, an electromagnetic effect which seems to be deliberate. All right, and so now you've got another letter from somebody else? Another right? letter from a woman on the Brooklyn Bridge. Her car stopped. She, uh, The engine died. The lights went out. She was terrified that she was going to be uh, rear-ended. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a very conservative, very nice woman. Uh, and I had <clears throat> the most interesting uh, time with her. Uh, as she drew for me what she saw, she made sketches, uh, described everything in exactly the same details that I had gotten from these um, government uh, 
people. Did they do the same? Did they supply you with sketches at any yes. point? Yes, I have sketches from everybody, and I uh, have uh, <clears throat> reproduced those sketches in the book. But that's only part of it. Uh, ultimately, I rounded up another witness who was driving down with her boyfriend, and he saw the UFO, too, down on the FDR Drive, which is an elevated highway directly above where these political figures' cars had stopped. Um, and they saw the UFO, and they have a period of missing time, apparently. Uh, but they described the UFO in exactly the same position above the building. I have somebody uptown, uh, up higher up in Manhattan, who was having an abduction experience that night, who uh, saw that uh, while she was being taken into a UFO at her location, she saw this orange-red UFO downtown in the area of Linda's building. Uh, I also have somebody who lived in Linda's apartment complex who woke up that night feeling extremely strange and found the entire courtyard of her building, that's the building that Linda was abducted from, the whole courtyard was lit up by, by a very uncanny, very frightening light. She said she would never sleep. She had her husband actually uh, move the bed away from the window. She was afraid after that, not knowing, of course, what had happened to anybody. Uh, she didn't want to ever be near that window again. I can understand that. All right, Bud, hold tight. We're at the bottom of the hour. My guest is Bud Hopkins. You're hearing the witness story. It is absolutely remarkable. Perhaps Nova should have uh, done a bit on that. What do you think? I'm Art Bell from the high desert near Dreamland. This is Dreamland. The talk station, AM 1500 KSTP. From the Kingdom of Nye, we continue with your calls on Greenland with Art Bell. Call Art now, toll free at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-TALK First time callers, area code 702-727-1222 702-727-1222 Or the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295 727-1295 In the 702 area code Now again, here's Art Bell Once again, here I am, pretty weird, competing with yourself I just went in and... Uh watched myself on uh, topics for a moment running on TBS right now if you have missed that <laughs> it's going to re-air at uh, 11.50 Pacific time or 2.50 in the morning I guess Eastern uh, it's a program called Topics on WTBS or TBS the Superstation alright before we move on and I've got a very interesting facts here uh, my guest is Bud Hopkins and uh, we want to finish up with uh, Witnessed, which is a remarkable, remarkable story. Why didn't Nova do that one, uh, Bud? Well, I, I, it's funny. I, I uh, had in the back of my mind the idea of the possibility that they may not be on the level. And I did not want to risk uh, something. The book was not out. And until the book was actually out and people could actually read it for themselves... Uh, and make up their own minds. I, I didn't want to um, entrust it into the tender hands of, of Nova. I also wanted to do, uh, as I said, a fresh 
case that would be totally new to me, too. It's just as well because uh, they probably wouldn't have televised it anyway. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, let, let me go ahead and read this to you now. Um, I used to be a total skeptic about abductions and thought Bud was a total fraud. That is, until I saw the Nova program and realized how set up he was. It was an obvious agenda. It opened my mind to realize that if they were trying that hard to discredit, there's got to be something there. Since then, I've checked up on abductions, and I'm astounded by the facts and by the discrediting tactics. Now I believe abductions are real. And, oh, by the way, I met Cynthia Hind, who worked with John Mack on the Zimbabwe event. I don't know what that is. Please ask Bud about the latest news of what he knows and if he has talked with Cynthia. Well, I, I have talked to Cynthia. Uh, we both spoke together this summer at the uh, conference in uh, uh, the MUFON conference in uh, uh, Michigan, Grand Rapids. And uh, she was charming as ever. And uh, the most important thing, uh, when you said she worked with John Mack, in a certain sense, it's, it's, uh, it should be the other way around. Hmm. Cynthia lives in um, Zimbabwe, and she was actually there and did her uh, first videotapes within a week of the incident. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with the incident. Yeah. Oh, well, this is quite fascinating. We still don't know exactly what happened. But there was a school uh, in um, uh, Zimbabwe which had a mixture of uh, white children and, um, and, and native uh, African children, uh, all extremely bright. And uh, I, I would say the age range of the children involved in this go up to about 12 years old. It's about the oldest. They were out in recess, uh, and there were some 60 children and uh, saw a UFO land. Actually, there were several UFOs flying around. This was all daytime. The thing landed uh, in uh, a um, kind of wooded area just adjacent to the playground. The children watched in amazement, and um, a, uh, a figure with big black eyes came out of the craft and stared at them and scared them to death. Uh, the children, uh, some of them ran in to get the teachers, and nobody would respond, of course. This can't be, so therefore it isn't. Uh, sure. Some of the smaller children were quite terrified and crying. And uh, what happened then was uh, uh, the, uh, some of the teachers began to take them seriously after they came back in the building and everybody, the, the UFOs had left and so forth. They were uh, quite taken with the uh, similarity of descriptions that they were getting from these various children. And um, Cynthia Hind, who was quite a wonderful woman, uh, as I say, lives there, and she, uh, she got to the school very, very shortly. I think it was within a week. And she showed at this uh, MUFON conference uh, a series of videotapes which she took. Uh, now, John Mack later on went to Zimbabwe uh, as uh, have some other people, Michael Hesseman, who also interviewed the children. And I think, you know, when you're interviewing young children about something like this, there's a law of diminishing returns. Yes, children of course. told the story many times. But there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that these children saw something that scared them to death, and their descriptions were extremely similar. Six drawings are quite fascinating that they made. Now, we don't know whether there was any abduction or anything that happened, but uh, at least uh, here was a low-level landing, and in the old parlance of investigations, a CE3 case, meaning a sure. uh, close encounter of the third kind, which means we see UFO occupants. And uh, they were some... Uh, uh, Oh, I believe ultimately 40 or 50 feet away from uh, a whole 
uh, yard full of children. Okay, but let me ask you this. With respect to Witnessed, the story you told us, with respect to Zimbabwe, the one you just told us, mm-hmm. two incidents when, when people saw something happen, many witnesses... Many witnesses, about it. yes. But most times, there are no witnesses. So what kind of conclusion do you come to when you begin thinking about that. In other words, are they only seen, Bud, when they wish to be seen? Well, in, in the case of witness, that's what seems to have happened. They seem to have put on a display deliberately to attract attention rather than to conceal what they were doing. Uh, the woman on the Brooklyn Bridge told me that she, as she watched this thing unfold and these brilliant lights and these figures floating out of a 12-story window, she said, all I could think of was that somebody's making a movie, that she was seeing somebody's special effects. Sure. Uh, she said, this just can't be. And she said it was so real, and she said, it must be fake. It's just impossible. Uh, and therefore, it, it would seem, uh, because they can do this and do it again and again without uh, direct witnesses, uh, that uh, this was one case where they wanted, they wanted uh, to be seen, I think, because of the important political figures who were in these cars down below. You're aware, aren't you, of the Phoenix Lights, of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a Phoenix uh, City Councilwoman, Frances Barwood. Right, and she's the one... She, she simply uh, sat there in a city council meeting and asked that there be an investigation. Well, she has gone through hell. Yeah. Uh, the, the mayor of Phoenix uh, has a little thing uh, where Frances Barwood talks into aluminum foil. I mean, she's going through living hell. And, of course, look at the what the governor tried to pull with his little stunt to... Uh... Uh, yeah, that, that one I still don't believe. Uh, he said he was going to be an announcement of an investigation. Yeah. He went in to court where he had some things himself to answer for, yeah. I guess, and, exactly. and, and came back out and guess whole, the whole, whole thing is a joke. Yeah. Now, um, with respect to abductions, Bud, with respect to Phoenix and all the other sightings, Las Vegas recently... It's happening more and more and more and more. If yes. They want to be seen. They want to be noticed. Uh, do you think they're sitting up there saying, well, where the hell's our press? <laughs> <laughs> well, Art, it, it's very, very hard, of course, to know exactly how an alien would think. I mean, that's one of the problems we have. Yeah. Uh, when we use the word alien, we, uh, I, I don't mean in a pejorative sense. I just mean uh, they're not us. Uh, you know, my use of alien was it, when I'm in, in Mexico, I'm an alien. You know, it doesn't say anything about where I come from or what right, I am. Right, right. Uh, so but they are different. They are not us. And so how their minds work and what their ultimate goals are, we do not know. But it, it would certainly seem in terms of the effects that these events have had, uh, and that's the Phoenix Lights, just as an example, showing up over a city. If, if in fact, uh, this, this is a legitimate uh, UFO sighting, I don't... I know that there's this recent theory about the <clears throat> flare, yeah, the flare business, but at any rate, I don't I, think so, Bud. It yeah, was a I, I agree. 106 minute event. I know flares last five minutes. Those are remarkable flares. But the point is that uh, it would seem as if doing this over a major city uh, is uh, again a kind of deliberate uh, attempt to attract attention. Precisely. Uh, Alan Hynek used to say that uh, it's almost as if we're being subjected to a kind of slow, gradual consciousness raising. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the year-by-year the, uh, year figures uh, of growth of uh, the population who accept the reality of the UFO phenomenon uh, would attest to the fact that however they're doing it, it's working. 
uh, more and more people are taking this seriously and understanding it. And uh, I think that uh, when we get to some of the attacks on some of these people, like the uh, uh, councilwoman that you just referred to, mm-hmm. and, and for that matter, attacks on you, attacks on me and others, um, I think that part of it has to do uh, with a, a tremendous uneasiness on the parts of the people doing the attacking. This really undercuts everything. Uh, and it's, it's interesting when you said that you had trouble accepting the idea of abductions. Many UFO researchers would say they could accept the idea that UFOs are here and they're, they're obviously some kind of intelligence that's not from Earth is piloting them. But the idea that they're messing with us was so upsetting that they would say, that part I can't believe. Mm-hmm. And yet now we know that the real reason they're here... Uh, has to do with human beings. They're interested in human beings. They're not interested in our uh, reservoirs or our atomic weapons or anything like that. They're interested in us. What is it about us they're interested in? Well, uh, there there we have, I think, uh, a a two-level thing. First, physically, I think they are extremely interested in our genetic makeup, and they are using uh, our DNA, our, our genetic... Uh, human uh, characteristics uh, to blend with their own as if they need some kind of revivification of their own species or something of this sort that they are trying to create a hybrid mix I think that is the most essential thing that we know about uh, actually perhaps about the whole UFO phenomenon at this point that this is what it seems to be centrally about and the next thing of course is that they seem to be extremely interested in our human personalities our range of emotions which they seem to lack mm-hmm. uh, you know it's interesting if, if fantasy were involved people would be fantasizing fierce aliens aliens that uh, uh, have ray guns and shoot you full of uh, laser holes and vicious aliens and loving wonderful aliens and everything else but we don't get those what we get reports are these sort of detached emotionless uh, n- not malevolent, not cruel, but uh, creatures who seem intensely interested in uh, a kind of quasi-scientific investigation of, of human beings. And I think that, it, and this is speculation, but it would seem to me that they are very, very interested and envious even of the range of differences that we have amongst ourselves, emotionally and intellectually, uh, even racially, that they seem to be wanting to achieve some of that emotional richness or spiritual richness let's put it that way that human beings have that they seem to lack all right um with the abduction syndrome of humans uh may or may not fit the cattle mutilations i mean they're absolutely remarkable that's where lynn and Malthouse done a lot of work yeah exactly uh and one might have you mentioned dna mm-hmm. mixing and matching right another another aspect of this might be that they may be monitoring our deteriorating environment. Yeah, well, I think that uh, they would certainly be interested, as I as I put in my book, uh, in Witness, that uh, everybody likes to believe that the hotel they're staying in is clean. Yeah. And therefore, uh, they would naturally have a stake in our environment. Uh, and that would certainly seem to be uh, part of the picture. Well, in the Antarctic, for example, right now, they have just reported the first actual uh, DNA changes, DNA changes, not just mutilated frog or mm-hmm. mutated frogs, but DNA changes in simple-celled organisms. That's mm-hmm. getting serious. Yes. 
Well, it, it is very hard to know what the ultimate program is, especially because, as I say, the two basic uh, myths that we have developed over the years, uh, neither one of these myths seems to apply. The one myth is, of course, the evil aliens here to blow us up, and Lord knows how many movies there have been on that score since the beginning. Uh, the uh, alien as invader. And the other is the benevolent uh, alien here to help us out. Warm, fuzzy little guy. Yeah, wonderful. And, you know, in the old uh, contactee reports back in the 50s, uh, everybody was taken to Venus uh, by these beautiful creatures with long blonde hair and soulful eyes, and they um, uh, they sat around, one, one man reported sitting around in a Venusian swimming pool with these gorgeous uh, Venusian women. Uh, but that whole idea of uh, benevolent uh, aliens or malevolent aliens. Neither one of those has panned out. What we get is something that is still elusive as to what its ultimate purpose is with regard to us. We know what they're doing to humans. We know what they're taking, just as Linda knows what they're doing to cattle and what they're exactly. taking. But she doesn't know, nor do I know, in the abduction area, exactly what they are doing with what they take and what the ultimate goal is. No, but the interest, whether it's cattle or people, seems to be intensely in reproduction. Yeah, absolutely. There is no doubt about that. And uh, this is, of course, uh, uh, something that uh, when I first started looking into the abduction phenomenon back in the uh, middle 70s, uh, I kind of averted my eyes from. I didn't want to think about that. I and in my first book, Missing Time, I, I didn't even deal with it, except in a very peripheral way. But ultimately, it became so clear that I wrote Intruders, and I thought that at that point, uh, it, was, it was kind of amusing. I got a very nice review, mixed, but essentially kindly, and, and uh, uh, it, it urged people to read the book, in the New York Times. And I was thinking, in the history of the New York Times, no book as wild as mine has ever been favorable, as favorably reviewed. A book that says, in effect... Um, extraterrestrial beings, or whatever we want to call them, are coming here to take sperm and ova cells from us to uh, uh, artificially inseminate our women to try to create a hybrid mix. This was uh, the material that I presented in the book in, in a number of different cases. And it was taken uh, at least partially seriously by the Times editorial staff of the, of the book review. And, of course, at this point... Uh, it's, it, that was 10 years ago when the book appeared. Uh, it's had uh, such a wide influence that I think it's fairly safe to say that there's nobody, uh, there's no investigator into the abduction phenomenon, uh, I mean, who takes the phenomenon seriously as opposed to a debunker, yes. who doesn't accept the idea that this is very, very central. There are many abductees, women, uh, but who have later then been abducted again. Of course, it, it seems to occur again and again. And yep. been shown what they believe to be their children. Yep. Typical? It's very typical. And even some men have been shown little children and made to feel that their cells have contributed to the making of that, uh, that child. And, you know, our, the, the touching tiny details uh, when you deal with these people, uh, the details that you hear <clears throat> just have the ring of authenticity about them, apart from you know, many, many other reasons for accepting uh, these cases. But um, I've had three different women uh, tell me who didn't know one another, <clears throat> and this is uh, under hypnosis or this is a conscious recollection, that when they were handed a small child, let's say it was a, a two-year-old or one-year-old approximately, hard to know what 
but they looked like a strange mix between us and them. And these children universally are described as having uh, very sparse hair. Mm. Uh, it's usually a kind of white or a, a blonde, very pale hair. Um, when they have been handed these babies, three different women have said to me, their hair is, the baby's hair is all standing up. Nobody's combing or brushing their hair. Nobody's brushing their She said, it's like they don't know how to take care of hair. And these mothers, who have this strong maternal instinct, are upset that these poor little babies are not being groomed. And I keep thinking, that's just one of those eminently human details, which underlines the fact that this is a real experience. Uh, it certainly does. Com fairly common, then. I've never heard that before. Yeah. And uh, the... Uh, uh, now, this is the other thing about the, 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 what I call the presentation scene, where the, uh, the putative parent is handed the baby or the child <clears throat> uh, that uh, is extremely interesting, too, and touching, is that the aliens seem to believe that humans have some emotional uh, or, or magical ability in their own touch, in the human touch. Well, we do. Uh, we do, exactly. But they want us to hold these babies, and the implication is, and they have even said it, that you're, you will give this baby strength. Uh, and when you think about this, if they are of such an advanced uh, race and, and, and scientific um, accomplishment that the females have not had to carry... Uh, offspring inside their bodies for gestation period as we have here on earth for the nine months etc and perhaps babies are created completely in vitro uh, test tube babies so to speak well did you know they just invented an artificial womb here on earth well, uh, there was just an announcement uh, not, uh, not for humans yet I, I, I didn't I didn't know that but it certainly seems to be in the offing I mean something like that after the cloning and the reproductive skills that have been uh, gained recently by scientists. Exactly. But I think that if a, if a mother, so-called, uh, in some kind of cosmic family from wherever, uh, has never carried the child and sort of, uh, I suppose, acquires a child the way you buy a puppy in a pep, pet store or something, Lord knows how that would work. Uh, but the, the, the necessary emotional connection that a human mother feels after having carried that baby internally for nine months that would be completely lacking. So they don't seem to know what to do. And these babies seem to be, uh, these hybrid babies seem very often to be described as being, uh, looking very sickly and weak and, and um, um, as if they're, they're not thriving. Uh, it's as if that this is an ongoing uh, experiment, really, that is not yet actually foolproof as far as the UFO occupants are concerned. So you, you really haven't made your own judgment. When, when we come back, I want to ask you whether you believe it's benign or malevolent or both. It's the top of the hour. Relax. We'll be back shortly. I'm Art Bell from the high desert near Dreamland, Area 51. This is Dreamland. Seven two seven one two two two, or the wildcard line at seven zero two seven two seven one two nine five. This is the CBC Radio Network. Well, all right, we are going to get the lines open for Bud Hopkins here momentarily. 
Uh, for those of you who missed the topics program, which ran on TBS, it will not be shown tonight, but rather Monday, Monday night at 11.50 Pacific Time. So if you missed it uh, Monday night at 11.50, they're going to rerun it. That would be 2.50 in the morning Eastern, and I'll get an opportunity, obviously, to remind my audience uh, tomorrow night of that fact. Anyway, back to Bud shortly. All right, I'm going to put you together with Bud Hopkins in just a moment. The only number not given in the group of numbers which will let you reach us is the East of the Rockies line. Anywhere East of the Rockies, it's 1-800-825-5033. That's one 800-825-5033. Uh, back now to Bud Hopkins. And, Bud, uh, I guess we should retrace here because I just got the following from Brian. Art, I've been listening to the show and thus far I haven't heard Bud tell the listeners what the lady of the sand said to the important political figure. What was said, I believe, is the reason for the abduction and may give some insight as to uh, what the aliens are doing here. <clears throat> well, uh, the book is so complex as I said, as a virtually a cast of thousands and so many complex incidents that there was just no time to begin to get into anything beyond the uh, uh, the central event of, of uh, November 30th, 89. Right. The Lady of the Sands episode uh, has to do with um, uh, an abduction, that, well, material that, that surfaced later about the original abduction experience. This very important political figure was himself abducted that night. <clears throat> although that didn't emerge right away. And um, one of the things that occurred that, that uh, Brian is referring to here is that uh, Linda Cortila, the abductee, said something to him implying that he was responsible or humans were responsible for despoiling the environment. <clears throat> now, she, the, her saying this seemed to be something that was imposed upon her as if the aliens were using her. I use the term um, uh, alien co-option. They will somehow, uh, and this, we get this again and again, a person will report uh, themselves being in an abduction experience where they are doing the aliens bidding willingly, even dressed as if they were an alien, and feeling uh, afterwards great remorse, feeling that they had somehow... Uh, <clears throat> been used and uh, abused, so to speak, and were not themselves, really. <clears throat> Linda explained to me afterwards that she was herself not a uh, an animal rights activist or, or any kind of an ecologist or anything, right. even though she was, it was, in effect, her voice uh, sort of lecturing uh, this important political figure about uh, issues. We don't know, again, whether this is the real, uh, uh, a really important uh Point or whether this is some kind of smokescreen. Nevertheless, the environment was mentioned. Yeah. Oh, yes. All right. That, that, that has come up many times. But uh, we don't know whether that's uh, uh, a, a real thing. As I pointed out, uh, uh, nobody likes to stay in a hotel that's dirty. Um, from the aliens' point of view, that they would obviously uh, favor uh, a healthy environment on this planet. Much to cover, but Bud, look, uh, beginning in about 1989, we started to get relatively simple crop circles. Mm -hmm. And now, this year, uh, they become uh, more and more complex and more and more frequent until this year. Uh, we have had the most complex, the most frequent crop circles. It's absolutely going crackers 
uh, in Europe right now, even in this country. Crop circles, crop circles, crop circles. And I know that it doesn't relate to abduction necessarily. But it, it somehow I think it may be connected to the environmental issue. And mm -hmm. that's just a very loose guess. Mm -hmm. um, have you thought about that at all? Well, uh, you know, you examine every kind of possibility. Now, we have many cases where, where abductees report being shown uh, images of, of uh, ravaged earth, or the earth blowing up, or floods, or exactly. <clears throat> disasters. <clears throat> we don't know whether, in fact, uh, this is a warning of the future, or this is uh, some kind of projective test to see exactly what kind of loyalty we owe our own planet, uh, how we would feel if such things might happen. We don't really know what this means. Uh, what I feel <clears throat> we really need is some kind of guidance. Uh, you know, as I've said a number of times before, uh, just getting warnings about ecological problems, uh, I mean, we can get that from reading the New York Times or going to a lecture at MIT or something. One of the results of the NASA uh, shuttle flight that's up there right now. Earlier in the program, we talked about, or before the top of the hour, benign or malevolent. Uh, here's a fax. Uh, Art, I've been to Bud's webpage. I've read some of his theories of why E.T. is kidnapping humans, and bottom line... If I were to witness a kidnapping and not rendered motionless myself, I'd attempt to murder as many of those ETs as possible while yelling, "Don't worry, I'm not going to harm you," and see if they get the, uh, and see if they get the point to respect us or die. Read this to Bud; he'll get the point. <laughs> well, uh, the basic issue is is that the the, the person undergoing the uh, abduction experience does not feel like he or she is dealing with uh, bloodthirsty enemies uh, bent on harming him or her. Uh, th that just doesn't come through. We don't get the sense that people feel these are enemies. Right. Uh, on the other hand, um, as I have said many times, we don't get the feeling that they're here to help us either. And I think the most important point here <clears throat> uh, to make about all of this is that they seem to be doing their thing for their reasons, and those reasons might ultimately turn out to be extremely uh, dangerous and damaging to us. We don't really know. I mean, they may take over the planet, or in fact, they may uh, finally close up the hole in the ozone layer and, and teach us how to... Uh, Keep a cleaner house. Take, yeah, to clean the house. We don't really know. Well, and, I was uh, going to say, Bud, that I'm sure the black men at Tuskegee thought they were getting good care, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we exactly. That was a, one of the most horrendous episodes in, uh, that I can think of in uh, American medical history. But uh, really horrible to think about. But, uh, the, but the point is inescapable. It's inescapable that what they are doing is causing great harm to uh, the abductees psychologically. Right. If, if I might, let's bring on some people. First time caller line, you're on the air with Bud Hopkins. Hi. Hi there. Where, where are you? Um, I'm calling from um, San Francisco. Okay. Um, but I just wanted to relate um, an experience of mine um, because I don't hear too often about these types of experiences. You've mentioned in the 1950s there were tall blonde beings called, that people were saved were from Venus. Um, <laughs> that that happened not that often. Well, I've had dreams for years where I've seen these tall blonde beings. And it's not as glamorous as those experiences in the 50s, but it's more like a classroom situation that I'm in. Uh -huh. And sometimes there have been examinations and healings. 
-hmm. And for the most part, they seem very kind and compassionate, and I don't feel like I'm being abducted. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to relate that to you because I don't talk about it that often. Well, ma'am, you said dream. What makes you think you are being abducted, and how do you delineate between a dream and a real event? Well, because um, the thing is, when I'm there, I feel like I'm really there, and I know I'm really there. It's just that when I wake up in the morning and I'm in my apartment, I thought I, I think, wait a minute, this was a dream. All right. Uh, Bob, that's a good question. How do, how do you uh, delineate uh, between the real event and a dream? Is it possible that would hypnosis, for example yield back details of a dream as though it was a real thing? Uh, well, th there, there are many criteria to help you decide whether something is a dream or not. And the basic point about uh, what our caller uh, said is that uh, we don't really know what to make of her experience. It's as if she doesn't, isn't quite sure what to make of it either right. herself, exactly. Uh, and there, that's, again, the reason why we need to investigate uh, each particular case before we come up with an opinion about it. Uh, at least from the point of view of, of us who are doing the investigations. But in terms of deciding whether something is a dream, this is, these are the things I tell people uh, ordinarily, that when you dream, you usually uh, distort your surroundings. In other words, you, uh, I often dream that I'm in my bedroom and it's uh, got a 30-foot ceiling and, you know, it's, uh, it feels like my room, but it doesn't really look like it. Right. But if you feel in this quote-unquote dream that's so puzzling and so real that you woke up, you were in your room, and everything looked exactly the way it should look. You see the digital clock, you see your bedroom slippers or whatever it is, then that probably is not a dream. It's probably a real experience. That's only one criterion, and it it's not absolutely certain. But if everything looks exactly right, uh, that's not the way dreams generally manifest themselves. The second thing is, in dreams, uh, one tends to... Uh, uh, see things, you, you uh, report what you're seeing visually, and you have emotional reactions, but the full range of senses are not operating. In other words, you can dream you're walking down the street naked, and you can be very embarrassed, but you're not cold, and you don't step in a mud puddle, or you don't uh, cut your foot on a piece of glass. That's right. And, uh, or you don't smell anything, that sort of thing. But if in these dreams, uh, these questionable dreams, the person is going through all of the full arrangements of, uh, of uh, I mean, the full reactions of the senses. Plus, for instance, if you, uh, in your quote-unquote dream, stepped on a piece of glass and you wake up and you have a bloody foot in bed, etc., then you probably weren't dreaming. Uh, it's important to realize that many UFO experiences feel like dreams. And, of course, in fact, may be. That's why each thing has to be looked into uh, in its own terms. And uh, so these are some of the criteria that we suggest that people use when they, okay. uh, when they try to analyze their own experiences. All right. We know sightings are increasing. Uh, Mexico has been absolutely incredible. There's actually been aircraft damage, uh, collisions with UFOs, that sort of thing. Phoenix, uh, Las Vegas, all the rest of it, that's increasing. The crop circles are increasing. What about abductions? Yeah, well, I, I feel that they're increasing, too. Uh, and it, it's a hard one to call, absolutely, Art, for the simple reason that what you hear about is just what you hear about. It doesn't necessarily mean that you hear about everything that's going on in sure. your cases. It's a little harder to conceal a, a huge crop circle than it is to conceal an abduction where the, uh, the abductee may not want to tell anybody or may not know who to report it to, etc. But beyond that problem, which is a very large one, 
uh, it's my feeling that they, there is a momentum to this and that there are more abductions and that they are, the UFO occupants are getting even a little more sloppy in their uh, carrying out these abductions. More mistakes are being made. You would be surprised. I get calls from people who say, boy, I'd like to be abducted. Yeah. Uh, what do you say to those folks? Well, uh, I could just say that you know, if they talked to somebody who had the experience, they probably wouldn't feel that way. Now, this is an interesting thing. I've had, or this is a very subtle point, but I've had people say, well, uh, even though I was terrified and I went through the you know the mill with, with these experiences and I've had some physical uh, after effects that were unpleasant etc still in some level my my horizons have been expanded that's unmistakable uh, I have a new sense of the universe that's uh, uh, very different than uh, that that I had before these experiences and so forth um, so on some level it's had positive uh, aspects which is of course I think quite true with a lot of people but I have never met a single abductee who, when I asked him, would you want your child to go through this, ever said yes. Exactly. Wild card line, you're on the air with Bud Hopkins. Hi. Good evening, Art. Good evening. Um, this is a little, maybe a little off the topic. Uh, Colonel Carso, when he was on your show, and oh, I just remember uh, fleeting references to this, and you may be able to fill in more detail. Okay. He referred to uh, hostile acts in the air, I, I believe it was in the air, by alien spacecraft. Um, does this register at all with anything but those he, he asked about what in the air? Hostile acts in the air. Hostile acts in the air. Yeah, he said there had been some hostilities from the aliens, which was one reason for secrecy. Yeah. Yep. Well, well um, I, I, I'll give you a response, I, and then Bud will. I, yep. I would say that what our government uh, cannot control and does not understand, it will not admit exists. That's just a quick one from me. Uh, what, what do you think? Uh, did you uh, hear, did you read Corso's book? Have you heard Corso? What do you think? Incidentally, uh, one quick thing. Alan Hynek uh, used to have a, a cartoon which he showed, which showed a couple of overweight Air Force generals leaning over the shoulder of a uh -huh. radar operator who was showing these blips on the screen. And he said, one officer said to the other, I don't know. He said, why don't we shoot one down and see if they're friendly? <laughs> but uh, the thing here is that as, as far as hostile acts, uh, we have some cases, of, especially one that occurred off of Cuba that was picked up by our listening uh, devices, uh, I believe NSA operatives, uh, of a couple of uh, uh, Cuban MiGs uh, intercepting a UFO. And when one of them was ordered to, uh, when it got a radar lock on, to... Uh, um, Fire. Fires missiles, the uh, plane disintegrated, uh, which would seem to be, from the point of view of the UFO, a um, where did that uh, defensive. Yeah. Uh, now, where do you get that report, Bud? Uh, well, this is, this has been widely uh, reprinted in, um, uh, I believe Tim Good goes into that that case in about Top Secret, but it's uh, it's a well known case. Now, this was all picked up by Spanish speaking American. Uh, uh, people who listen in on all the radar radio transmissions from Cuba. And this happened, uh, I believe, in the 70s. It's quite a, a long time ago. Uh, now, this is another very interesting thing. If this were fantasy, if UFOs were a product of human fantasy, we would have all kinds of battles. People would be resting uh, ray guns out of the hands of the aliens. There would be right. uh, shoot 'em ups and look at the movies we have. And so, yeah, you know, we don't really get those reports. And certainly, the UFO occupants seem to have the technology to blow anything out of the sky if they wanted to. Well, so, before we leave movies, I've got to ask you, 
you, you must have seen Contact. Yes. What did you think? I didn't like it. <laughs> you, you didn't like it? No, I didn't. Uh, I thought it was uh, uh, long, slow, uh, rather boring, and muddled. Um, I, uh, interesting. I asked. I interviewed Leonard Nimoy the other day, uh -huh. and he said virtually the same thing. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> well, it's uh, it, it was certainly not a movie movie, and I, and this is on the critical level. Um, I think that Jodie Foster is a very uh, cool intellectual actress, and when you put a very cool intellectual actress in a very cool intellectual uh, stage uh, screenplay. Uh, then it gets really chilly. So I didn't think much of it. What did you think of it, Art? I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the special effects were great, but I, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't really like it. The aspect of it that I liked, uh, Bud, was the, um, uh, the the business about faith. In other words, Jodie Foster, uh, at the critical moment, could not muster up the words, to, uh, true or false, yes. to indicate she had the faith. And yet, when she came back, she was asking everybody to accept. What had occurred to her? Yes. On faith. Yes. Right. So I, I, I thought that was intriguing. Well, I tell you, uh, one of the uh, uh, interestingly, this having been written by Carl Sagan, uh, and I recently uh, published a piece in um, IUR, uh, the uh, Center for UFO Studies uh, newsletter, uh, on my dealings with uh, Sagan. This is uh, part of my ongoing autobiography that I'm writing. But anyway, here's a man who was very, very firmly an, an agnostic, if not atheist, and. Uh, he, uh, uh, he discouraged people uh, praying for him as worthless when he was very, very ill. Um, and I cannot believe that that screenplay uh, faithfully uh, reflects his position. Uh, well, it was tender, actually, yeah, with, with respect to his real position, I think. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Uh, hold on, Bud. We're at the top of the hour once again. Bottom of the hour, actually. And, uh, boy, it's flown by. All right, I'm Art Bell. You're listening to Dreamland and Bud Hopkins at that on Dreamland. And we're discussing mainly abductions. And they, too, Bud thinks, are on the increase. Abductions, crop circles, animal mutilations, sightings. Hmm. Think it might be leading to something? We'll be right back. AM 1500 KSTP. Tell them Art Bell told you to call. That's 1-800-406-0469. Back now to Bud Hopkins. Uh, Bud, somebody asking you to comment on the Travis Walton uh, abduction. I, uh, on the Walton case, I interviewed Travis Walton and his boss, and it was one of the more interesting interviews that I've ever done. And for some odd reason, we appear to have lost Bud. <laughs> so I can't ask him that until I get him back on the line. So uh, let's see. We'll do something here and do exactly that and get him back on the line again. Such things occur, uh, particularly and unusually occur, I might add, during programs like this. Uh, because we have a, a special thing that locks 
callers in. It literally locks them in and will not allow the line to disengage, but something happens. What could be more cutting edge than Art's unique guests or his phenomenal website? The answer, you. Now you, the listener, can help decide the content of the Art Bell After Dark newsletter. Send in your stories, photos, artwork, strange experiences, even news clippings. The best submissions will be published in the After Dark newsletter. You'll continue to get photos from Art's website and Art's articles as well as stories and pictures you send in. You won't want to miss a single issue. To subscribe, call 1-800-917-4278 or send $39.95 for and a little more to P.O. Box 3130 Central Point, Oregon 97502. Send your submissions to the same address. Articles must be typed. Do not send originals of photo or art as submissions become property of CBC. Subscribe now. Call 1-800-917-4278. 1-800-917-4278. All right. It's happened before, and now it's happened again. I have no idea how it occurs, uh, but we were suddenly disconnected. But it's a very interesting phenomenon because, because I have a little mechanism here that locks a guest line in uh-huh. so that literally nothing can happen. And more times than not, when I'm doing these kinds of shows, it happens. I was asking a question that you obviously couldn't have heard. Uh, no, I didn't. I wanted you to comment, if you would. Uh-huh. Uh, I interviewed Travis Walton. I, uh-huh. in- I interviewed Travis Walton's a boss. Uh-huh. I-, I heard the whole story. They've taken lie detector tests. It's one of the more interesting, well-documented abduction cases what did you think of it? I think it's a very solid case. And uh, the, my uh, sense of Travis and uh, the people with him is that they have complete integrity. This is the interesting thing to, to always bear in mind. These young men, some of whom don't even get along with each other now at this point, That's correct. have stayed by this story for 22 years. Now, one knows that whatever little bits of money were made out of the uh, the film and uh, the book, which I'm sure were minuscule. Everyone thinks there's huge amounts of money floating around that there isn't. Uh, but the point is, uh, whatever small amount of money uh, that may have been handed to some of the, of the crew members, which would be minuscule amounts, I mean, maybe a few hundred dollars just to, as a courtesy thing, as sure. anyone would have done, any one of those people could have gone to... Uh, you know, inside edition or hard copy of one of the tabloid shows and made a mint by uh, uh, exposing this if this were a hoax. I had a very difficult time getting getting them on the air. They really didn't want to They talk don't about want it. to. No, they're, and these guys, they're just plain, normal, nice guys. And uh, for 22 years, they have walked the plank. They have uh, done every kind of uh, polygraph. They've I been, know. Uh, looked into, and yet they have been vilified, vilified, and and uh, I think it's absolutely shameful what's been done. So and do now, I. So do uh, I, and it's 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 just happens to everybody who comes forward with a story, and yet even in the face of that, people are still coming forward. Thank absolutely, I, I admire the courage of people. I, I've just incidentally finished uh, working with uh, a couple uh, who will be telling their story on um, uh, a. Um, uh, an A and E uh, television uh, special. Oh, really? Productions, yeah, coming up. And uh, these people have just been very, very willing to talk about what happened to them. And uh, it's, it's uh, the, the 
the, the things that happen to them individually and together. Uh, and there's a tremendous kind of bravery. They, they're in the field of show business, actually, but on a, on a level that they're not stars or anything like that, where this could actually hurt their booking. But um, they have felt that this is something that they should do. And, of course, doing this in the face of the debunking strategy, which is to just, you know, it's, it's not shoot the messenger, it's shoot the witness, really, is what the, uh, the debunking strategy is. I, I have to just hand it to people, and I do not even suggest that they should come forward when they ask me. I say, you know, uh, you, can, you have to consider the risks because the risks are out there. Yeah. That's, that's good advice. First time caller line, you're on the air with Bud Hopkins. Hello. Hello. Hi, where, where are you? I'm in Jefferson City, Missouri. Okay. Um, I have so many questions, I'm, I'm just going to shorten it down. Um, you talked in, in your book, Witness, about the third man and Richard being abducted mm-hmm. um, with Linda. Mm-hmm. Does she still have those experiences with them? No. She, I, I have to say, she did have one experience with Richard, an abduction experience uh, that occurred after the time frame of the book. Uh, they were abducted again, and this was quite a strange uh, experience. Uh, I have a tape recording from Richard dealing with uh, that very briefly. Uh, but um, Linda is the kind of person who doesn't really want to explore her experiences. She wishes it would stop. She doesn't like what's happened. Uh, it's created a lot of havoc within her family and with her children. And uh, uh, so uh, I, I have a feeling that she might uh, downplay certain <laughs> recollections when she talks to me. Well, I, I read in your uh, intruders, um, huh? was, and I think those, the, it was Kathy Jordan that wrote the yes. book afterwards. Uh huh. Abducted. Yes. Um, I'm always curious. Are you still in touch with some of these people? Oh, absolutely. Go through their experiences. Absolutely. Uh, I uh, have a, a huge network. I've, I've worked with uh, now uh, over 600 uh, people one on one. Uh, abductees that I've dealt with over, this over the past 20-some years. Uh, and I am uh, in touch frequently with uh, uh, some of the abductees. <laughs> I try to, to, to chat with them whenever I can. Uh, it's a huge number of people. Of course, I don't get to keep in touch with 600. But now, yeah, I was about to ask how you vet the cases. In other words, uh, there are probably people constantly writing you. I can only imagine no. how many letters. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's awful. I would say, incidentally, that... Um, uh, I, I receive every single day through letters or phone calls or, or whatever at least two uh, new uh, potentially strong abduction cases. Now, that's amongst all the other letters that are, are more, ambival- more ambiguous. Um, but, uh, but, I mean, two a day uh, that, that require investigation. Now, this could be in South Africa or uh, Zimbabwe. Or, uh, incidentally, I'm going to be traveling very shortly to... Uh, first to Australia, to several cities, giving lectures, and then to um, uh, I'm going to Germany, to Dusseldorf, to a conference, and then uh, to Acapulco, and then to um, uh, Brazil. Uh, and this is all before Christmas. That's a and lot of travel. It's a lot of traveling. Well, this is uh, the the subject is uh, one that uh, people here discuss, and I'll be talking about uh, the the, the witnessed uh, subject matter too in that. But the point is, in those cities, I all inevitably run into other 
um, abductees and try to find someone for them to work with in those particular cities. We have, uh, I, I preside over a small support group actually in Rio de Janeiro a couple of years ago, and I've done the same thing in Brisbane. Uh, and we'll be doing it again. So this is a global phenomenon. There's no possible way that uh, uh, the people can can find um, qualified, sympathetic uh, investigators, uh, hypnotist therapists uh, to work with. That's a good question. So what do they do? You said there are support groups. Are those? You've got a website, right? I have a website. Yes, and I also have a uh, post office box that people can write to me uh, uh, the old-fashioned way. All right. Uh, and that is, uh, you write to me care of if that stands for Intruders Foundation, but just if box three o two three three. 30233. Right. New York, New York. And the zip is 10011. Got it. uh, People want to drop me a note about their experiences, and I have a network of uh, people around the country and some people in foreign countries who I can refer people to. It's it's far from uh, as large a network as we need, but uh, we're trying to work on it and uh, to expand it all the time. All right. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Bud Hopkins. Hello. Uh, hello, Art. How are you doing this evening? Hi, Hi. Bud. Hi, there. Uh, you know, I've, I've read uh, Intruders and, um, and, what is that, like a 12-year-old book? Uh, Ten. It's a, well, Eight, it's seven. a great book. It's a great book. And um, I, I appreciate your writing, and I agree on you uh, with a lot of points about abduction. However, I don't necessarily believe in it to this day, even though I think your books are extremely interesting. Uh, but uh, I did want to ask you, you know, first of all, uh, I don't quite follow you on the genetics part. I don't think they're interested in our genetics. That's just a personal view. Uh, mm-hmm. If they are there, indeed, I think they're long since passed on that uh, genetics uh, technology and probably no interest in that whatsoever. But I would like to ask you, uh, I, I'm scared of UFOs, personally. I've seen 12 of them uh, that mm-hmm. were some uh, were extremely close and very unheartening or disheartening. And at the same time, I'm more scared of what comes after it, the, the helicopters, the, the military contingencies. And uh, what's your opinion on, on uh, do you think we really have anything nailed as far as the UFO, the ET syndrome, or do you think we're just not in cahoots at all to this day? And Well, actually, that's a very good question. In other words, uh, he's right. There yeah. are frequently helicopters and military personnel involved uh, either during or after an event. Yeah. Well, this is the thing first, Art. Uh, it is, in essence, something you hear about, but which is very, very rare. In other words, um, if of the 600 or so people I've worked with uh, who have, uh, uh, I, I felt, had uh, abduction cases that uh, I had no reason to disbelieve whatsoever, uh, I would say only a very small handful of those people seem to report uh, what would seem to be government uh, interference with them. Uh, Debbie Jordan actually being one, and she's a woman of, of extremely high credibility. But this is the problem. If there are literally, as we believe, and I think the evidence is very strong for this, that there are literally millions of abductees, there is no possible way that the government, we don't even have a half a million people in the army, that the government could harass or surveil or whatever, even a tiny percentage of the number of abductees that actually exists. Uh, now, in terms of the, the uh, helicopters, the black helicopters, etc., uh, I don't quite know what to make of this phenomenon because if it's the government, it's the dumbest thing in the world because, uh, first of all, you can't do any sort of surveillance in a huge, noisy machine. 
um, all you can do is intimidate, and it never seems to intimidate anyone. People just get angry. It doesn't seem to work, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Plus, I've had a case from Florida where a woman described this black helicopter uh, with uh, tinted glass coming down over her backyard. She's an abductee, again, a woman of, of very great credibility. And the interesting fact was there was no prop wash at all. <laughs> and this thing was, you know, something like 50 feet up. So we don't know what it's connected to, the black helicopters. The fact that there's a cover-up, uh, I have absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, and the fact that people seem to have been followed around uh, in particular cases, as I mentioned, the Debbie Jordan case is uh, one that's quite strong. No doubt about the fact the government knows. Oh, no, not, not at all. Uh, so uh, the, the point is here that... Uh, well, incidentally, on the, on the government knowing, Gordon Cooper, uh, the astronaut who was on the cover of Time magazine twice, described on television uh, not too long ago the fact that he had uh, viewed a, a film of a, a UFO landed on tripod landing gear, something like 35 to 40 feet away from the guard unit at an Air Force base who took the film, and then the thing took off. He viewed it, sent it to the uh, Pentagon, and never heard anything more about it. I'll tell you an interesting little story. I'm about to interview Story Musgrave. Mm -hmm. um, story just did um, a kind of a lecture in Hawaii, and at the very end of the lecture, he put up a picture of a typical gray. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the last slide, and without a smile on his face, he said, by the way, these guys are real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they, he wouldn't say anything else, but uh, intriguing, huh? Yes, well, there's no doubt about that. Plus, uh, I might have mentioned that once I did uh, uh, the, oh, now I'm trying to think of it, the show on W, uh, I mean, uh, CNBC, uh, Charles Gordon, uh, and the end of the show, he said very, very directly that uh, a number of years before he had been having dinner with uh, uh, Senator uh, Bradley, Bill Bradley from New Jersey, along with Dustin Hoffman. And Dustin Hoffman had simply out of left field asked Bill Bradley, was there anything to the reports that we had crashed the wreckage and, and bodies and so forth? And Bradley said, absolutely, it's true. <laughs> no, yeah, okay. Bradley's not the, uh, a clown you bet. clown type. No, not at all. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Bud Hopkins. Not a lot of time. Hello. Hey, Art. This is Dave from Cape Coral, Florida. Hi, Dave. Uh, I, was, I bought Mr. Hopkins' book, Witness, today, mm -hmm. and I was wondering, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but where are the aliens coming from? And since interstellar space is such great distances, what are their methods of travel and propulsion? Well, do you think you know the answers? I, I know the answers to none of those questions. Uh, I want to make it clear that uh, uh, Alpha Centauri, uh, which is uh, um, the closest star, if I'm, if I'm certainly I'm not sure, I think it is Alpha Centauri. I believe it is. Uh, it's the closest star. That uh, it seems now to have a planetary system. And if it uh, has a, a planet uh, which uh, supports life and so forth, uh, and it's an advanced culture and so on and so forth technologically, and they could travel at the speed of light, they could get here in nine years. Uh, half the speed of light, half the speed of light. Nine years. Nine years. That's now, doable. That doesn't seem too impossible to me. No, indeed not. Uh, West of the Rockies, you're on there with Bud Hopkins. Hi. Hello, I'm calling from Boise, Idaho. Yes, ma'am. And um, I've heard Bud mention before a nine-year-old girl that was um, rushed to an emergency room after she was splashed on the side of her neck during a abduction. Did you hear about that? 
Uh, now, tell me this again. Uh, which which case? A nine-year-old girl? Yes. She was um, slashed on the side of her neck. And yeah, was... Oh, yes, yes. That, that's the Florida case, yes. Okay. Um, I wanted to know what happened with that um, when she went to the emergency room. What did the doctor say? Or... Uh, the, the, well, it's, that's a complex story, but essentially they put something like... 15 or 18 stitches in her it's across her, her chin and uh, go below her uh, lower lip and goes around the side of her face I know the little girl and I've seen the scar which is quite noticeable um, nobody knew what, what it was, it was sewn up uh, perhaps they didn't actually need to do that uh, because these things seem to almost heal miraculously but uh, the problem was that there was the suspicion that um, well, the, the 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 story that came out was the family that where this happened said that they had a a big uh, Labrador Retriever which is very sleepy, and she the little girl remembered waking up and seeing this big face looking at her, and that's all she remembered. And so the family decided the dog must have taken delicately one big thick <laughs> claw and, and scratched without waking her up. I should mention. At that point, uh, I mean, it's something that made absolutely no sense, and so there was uh, the dog was under suspicion. But uh, that literally made no sense to the doctors. This was a uh, scalpel-like cut, and uh, the scar is still there, and the little girl is still having experiences. But that's that's an extreme case uh, uh, in the sense that the scar is right on her face and quite noticeable and quite long. Does that um, happen often? Where no, that's it's extremely rare. No, it's free. Oh, all right. Look, we're at the end of our time. Uh, let me do something productive and give your address here. Simply, folks, if you want to get hold of Bud, write to if, I-F, if. Uh, box 30233, New York, New York, 10011. Is that correct, Bud? That's correct, and I thank you very much for presenting that. And your books, of course, are available nationwide, worldwide, any bookstore. Go in. If they don't have it, they can get it, right? Absolutely. Excellent. But it has been a pleasure. Uh, you've got a lot of traveling to do, and we'll catch up with you on the other side of that, I'm sure. Okay. Thank you very much, Art. I appreciate good it. Good night, my friend. the good work. Thank you. Take care. Okay. All right. There you go. Uh, Bud Hopkins, folks. And it has been a pleasure. I want to take a moment out to say my book, um, The Quickening, is now generally available nationwide. Same deal. Go into any bookstore, the bookstore of your choice and ask for it. If they don't have it, they can get it for you. It's called The Quickening, and I think it is increasingly important since what was written about we now appear to be right in the middle of. The Quickening by Art Bell. If you'd like a copy of this evening's show or any program we do, any Dreamland program or coast with a guest, call 1-800-917-4278. Good night. AM 1500, KSTV has been Dreamland, a program dedicated to an examination of areas in the human experience not easily nor neatly put in a box. Things seen at the edge of vision, awakening a part of the mind as yet not mapped. Yet things every bit as real as the air we breathe but don't see. Please join us again next week at this time for Dreamland.